two quick notes before we get into this week's episode. We will be taking a month-long break from new episodes and will return on January the 11th. We hope that you have a joyous Christmas season and we look forward to being back with you again in January. This week, we decided to try something we've never done before on this show, and that is have an episode that is translated from Spanish to English. I want to give a huge thank you to Emil, the son of Jorge Coco Santangelo, for his translation and for providing his own insights at a couple of points in the episode. The idea for this episode came as an answer to a prayer. Here in Northern California, there is a crush exhibit each year at Christmas. And by the time this episode airs, Jorge Coco Santangelo will have been presenting his art for four days with just one day remaining. He is debuting several brand new pieces of art, but the one that caught my attention is a Madonna and child piece portraying Mary and the baby Jesus. I felt that speaking with someone who has worked so diligently to create art that helps us come to know the Savior would be the perfect way to celebrate this holiday season. I hope you feel the same. Jorge Coco Santangelo's art previously caught the attention of the Queen of England, who selected the 86-year-old Latter-day Saint convert from Argentina's art as part of Great Britain's 2021 Royal Mail Christmas stamp collection, the last Christmas set the Queen would approve prior to her death. The stamps showed Joseph leading the donkey, Mary and the baby Jesus, shepherds, wise men, and angels. These are the images that lead our hearts and minds to Christ every Christmas, and we are grateful to Jorge as well as so many other artists whose work helps turn our hearts to Christ and helps us imagine what it would have been like to be there at the time of Christ's birth. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Pearson, and I am so excited to have Jorge Coco on the line with me today. Jorge, welcome. Uh, Thank you very much. So... Jorge, I am curious, you've said that you've known since you were born what you needed to do with your life. How old were you when you started to recognize your gift for art? I know your mom said you were born with a pencil in your hand, but how do you think you instinctively knew what to do with that gift that you had been given? So during the first years of my my study in in elementary school, I started to realize that there was a difference between my friends and I in what we could and couldn't do. I started uh, copying from magazines, from comic magazines, uh, all the superheroes of the time, Superman and Batman. So I, I love that. I love that you, you know, recognize that you had this gift and started using it. But initially, you weren't using it for religious art. So before we get to that, you came in contact with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 1962. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came in contact with the church and, and how you ended up joining the church? Meeting the, the church was a casual thing. Uh, I could almost say it was a miraculous thing. The church was not present in the city where we lived. My wife and I were married, 
and we were on a on a time of a lot of uncertainty and and soul searching. This is a, a city with a predominantly Catholic, but none of the the religions of the time fulfilled what uh, what we were looking for. The church was going to take many many years to go from Buenos Aires, where it was established, to our hometown. But in the Republic of Uruguay, the church had expanded a lot quickly. And my city in Argentina is on the other side of the Uruguay River, across the river from an important city in Uruguay. And so in a very unusual way, two missionaries from Uruguay asked for a, a special permit so that they could go across the river and go see what was on the other side of the river. They were coming on a boat and they happened to sit next to one of my wife's cousins. They tried to, to approach him uh, you know, as, as missionaries of the church and he immediately rejected them. <laughs> but then he said, but, but actually I do have a cousin that is always asking questions about religion. So he gave, uh, gave the missionaries our contact information and they came over. They came to, to our home and that's how we began our journey in the church. The conversations with the missionaries were very interesting. At the end of it all, we went to the riverbanks and got baptized. So one thing that I wondered about this as I was, you know, watching and reading stuff about your life, Jorge, it's interesting to me that this happened over 60 years ago. You are now 85 years old. And so I wondered how has your testimony changed and evolved over the 60 years since you were baptized? The, the spiritual impact is, is, is very evident and it comes from the same source. Even though the, the knowledge of the doctrine in, in those days was minimum, compared to what I know now after many years, but the, the strength of the spirit is the same. That's super cool. I think, you know, recognizing the spirit, whether we understand everything, I always say that about my grandparents, my grandparents, um, or both my grandmas are converts to the church. And I've always felt like, you know, they didn't understand everything, but they felt the spirit and that's what matters. We had our first uh, sacrament meetings, the missionaries' apartment. We had no clue of how the church was organized. Wow, that's amazing. And so, uh, touching on that, you and your wife were the first members of the church in your city in Argentina. Did you feel, because I imagine other people that weren't familiar with the church or maybe were familiar with the church, had some feelings about your decision to be baptized. Did you face any opposition at that time? Yes, of course. I was very naive and, and I went running to tell about these new things that I had found to my friends and family. And I got a, a huge disappointment. And we were cast out basically from the city's society. At the point of your baptism, Jorge, you had mostly painted landscapes, portraits, and still lifes. How, how was this practice different for you than what you paint most commonly now? I, I didn't have formal uh, artistic training, but uh, but that time, about that time, I was already doing a lot of research on my own 
in, in regards to to art and in different uh, art styles. I had done already uh, impressionism and I was doing some abstract work. But the first thing I painted after being baptized was a, a portrait of Jesus Christ okay. so, so that we could hang it in, in our very humble apartment building where, where the where we met as, as a church. And, and the second painting that I did was a portrait of Joseph Smith. And then I painted a larger piece of the visit of Jesus Christ and to the Americas for for a chapel in Salto. Oh, in, in the city of Salto in Uruguay. Wow. What was it? Because the church has grown a ton in South America and in Argentina. What has it been like for your dad to watch the church grow over the years there? So it was very tough for many years, but I've seen uh, a lot of growth in the, in the last few years. We moved to Buenos Aires after we were baptized, and, and there I, I was able to, to participate more actively in, in leadership positions. Well, I think it's so neat. Anytime we have the chance to interview somebody that is a pioneer, which is what you are, Jorge, you're a pioneer in, in Argentina and in the area that you grew up in. And I think it's just neat anytime we have the chance to talk to somebody who took that leap of faith. She says, I was able to participate in the in the, uh, the transformation, the growth of the first, from the first mission into the first stake in Argentina. I was called as one of the first bishops in the country. Wow. So, so neat. So going back to, you said the very first painting that you painted was a painting of Jesus Christ. You called painting Jesus Christ the highest degree of commitment and said that it is a, it is the heaviest burden for an artist. I wondered what is your approach like Jorge, when you sit down to paint a painting of, of the savior? So you can paint uh, any worldly painting, be it a landscape, an abstract painting, or still life, and you can apply all the resources and the laws of art. You can transmit all the harmony and all the possible beauty. But to paint Jesus Christ (laughs) is to walk into sacred ground. And you have to, to be able to do that. You have to transport yourself into spiritual realm in which you have to to be yourself in in a spiritual state of mind because you're not painting a human being you're painting a god and and you need a a concept (laughs) and and that never arrives so well said So I noticed in one of the articles that I read about you, you said that you couldn't portray Jesus Christ correctly if you did not have a testimony of him. You just mentioned like you are not painting a person, you're painting a God. Why have you felt that your testimony, you mentioned also like coming into it, you have to to approach it as yourself. So why is it important for you to prepare spiritually for these paintings and, and make sure that you're in the right spirit to be able to paint them. Because uh, otherwise I would be painting something historic 
So Jesus Christ taught uh, things that that are able to be told, but the content is spiritual. And the challenge is to is to make a painting yeah. that that you can see, but that the content of it needs to be spiritual. And if you don't have a testimony by the spirit, you cannot paint something of that nature, uh, the spiritual nature. So, Jorge, you approach these art pieces a bit different than most Latter-day Saint artists. So you call this approach sacro-cubism. Emil, maybe before we even have your dad comment on this, you can explain to us what sacro-cubism is. Sure. So I basically coined the word because cubism, it's an art movement that is associated with, with Picasso and Brack. It was called like that because they, they used a lot of cubes and geometric shapes, but cubism had to do with objectification of people. And so there was a room there for using the same approach, same artistic language, but with a different end, which was to make things spiritual. So the opposite Mm -hmm. as what it was used. And so that's why... We call it sacro, which means uh, sacred in, in Latin. So that's why there was a, a room there to uh, to make a distinction and, and to call it a little bit different, sacro-cubism. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so Jorge, you've said that you use colors and forms that convey a spiritual message because a color and a shape can produce an impact that is superior to the visual and can teach our spirits similar to what we find in music. How would you say that this unique art style is able to communicate even more sometimes than the classical style that we usually see in church art? I am capable of painting a person Choose the way the eye sees it, and when that happens, the 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 focus of the one, the person observing the art is called to to notice the the artist technique, and, and so they comment, you know, uh, if, if it is a good painting, then they would say, oh, this, how wonderful it looks like a real person. It, it looks like the person is alive. It looks like we can touch that person. But that is not the, the objective of art according to, to my philosophy. You can reach that point with technique. But uh, to me, art needs to take the, the person out of the uh, material and physical reality of the everyday life and, and to elevate to the transcendent events to things that you can find behind or beyond the, 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 that, the, that painted uh, scene. So I try to avoid in as much as possible any reference to the, to the actual looks of the person and, and the landscape so that the form and color may produce a new feeling, a new sensation, because we're not doing, we're not trying to, imitate to to replicate 
the physical reality. When we see a person that speaks by the spirit, it doesn't matter the way they're, the way they're dressed. It doesn't matter uh, what they look like. The important thing is that their spirit touched our spirit. And when a form and a color touches our spirit, then art made its magic. I love that so much. So Jorge, when you first started painting these religious works of art, was it immediately this style of painting or is that something that came with time? Art has many, many ways of being expressed. I was uh, painting surrealism, metaphysical, abstraction, and that would require a certain eye training by whoever was, uh, by the observer. But most of the the church membership, in general, they, they needed a, a language that they could understand. That, yeah. that, that would be, uh, you know, to the rich and to be to get used to this new way of, uh, of communicating through art. So he says now that, uh, the, that the church itself was close to any other uh, artistic uh, style that was not realistic. Realism, right. Okay, uh, and, that makes sense. And I have to add that, that up to today, you know, it's, it's very much so. You know, but uh, little by little, we're we're ma- we're opening a, a a door, and and Jorge has been a, a that type of um, of pioneer as well, because um, you know up to up until he came around, you know you 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 would not see you know anything that wasn't very realistic in in nature. Right, right, absolutely. Well, I think. I think that, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a painting that looks like, you know, the way that you imagine Christ. But other times I think it's nice to have a painting where you get to imagine like what his face looks like, because we've all read the scriptures. We all have an idea in our minds. And sometimes it's like, oh, that's, you know, if it's super realistic looking, it's like, oh, that's not how I imagined him. So, Morgan, I'm going to interject here. Uh, yes, please. Anytime we, you want to interject, uh, there, Emil, you're welcome. There was uh, an article recently published by uh, the Salt Lake Tribune. It was in reference to, uh, to a Book of Mormon catalog that is, is available now online. And, and we lent, uh, you know, hundreds of paintings, images to, to have in the catalog. And so that, that article came, came out in the, in the, in the, <laughs> Not the New York Times for sure in the in the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, so, but the curator was saying that there is a, a a risk of having paintings that look so realistic because number one, we were not there. We don't know how it happened or what they looked like. Right. We don't have the authority to say how you know how it was. But number two is that when we paint so so realistically that people do look at it and say that's what happened and that's how it was and and that's the danger because that's who knows <laughs> you know maybe it right. was maybe it wasn't <laughs> but but it, it, you know it's it's a, the curator was saying it's a risk to paint so realistically because it it, it engraves in the minds of the people what 
Jesus was supposed to look like or, or how things were. And, you know, and that could be a very erratic. Right. Well, and, and it makes sense too. like, that would be the reason that we would need a lot of different people to share their idea of Christ, you know, whether it be realistic or not, we need different representations because we don't know what he looked like. Yeah. And, and, and you know, Morgan, I, and, and this is, uh, you know, an honest and, and, uh, and candid comment, but, yes. you know, we see in the publications and, and in the last years, we see the effort to open up, but for decades, you would only see the same uh, depictions of Christ and Book of Mormon scenes over and over and over and over again. So much that you come to think that that's that's that that, that was is reality. what he looks like, right? Yes, uh, and uh, and 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 you know we are thankful for for new uh, leadership in the in the church museum and in in you know in the uh, museum at BYU and and you know other places that are opening up to to say well. You're right. I mean, this this is an artist's opinion, and that's fine. You know, it's perfectly fine. And they're beautiful, what they painted before and what's been used. I mean, it's wonderful. But you are correct in saying that we need many voices, many, many different voices, so that we don't get stuck in, in one style and, and one uh, characteristic of, of anything that happened. Right. And I think that's the beauty of the Book of Mormon catalog that you were talking about. And we'll make sure to link that so that people can can visit that because I think it's such a cool website. I also just want to acknowledge how much I think, Jorge, your art is resonating with people and how much it's touched so many people within the church. I know that having a favorite painting is like picking a favorite child. So I'll just say at this moment <laughs> while we're talking, do you have a favorite painting that you've done? <laughs> <laughs> so he said this last one. I don't know if you saw it, Morgan. It's called the Christus. And, and it's a uh, painting that was in, in our background. I don't know if you. It is stunning. I was going to ask you about that. So I'm glad you're bringing it up. So, uh, so it's, it's the last, uh, the last big painting and it's inspired in Thorvaldsen's statue of Christus, uh, you right. know, that, that is in, in Denmark and that, that we have used in the church in, in visitor centers and, and, you know, all over the world. So it's in, inspired in that, in that sculpture. And what is it that, is it that it's just the the last one? Because it's, sometimes that's true of me with podcasts. Sometimes my favorite one is just because it's the most recent. Or is there a reason that it's Jorge's favorite right now? Yeah, he says it's very hard to compare paintings. And And so I guess like removing the comparison, what is it that makes this painting, the Christus, special to him? Uh, so the the physical features of the Christ, they're they're almost as as a call. There, it's almost like he's calling us. Mm, I love that. So you've said, Jorge, that painting is a spiritual practice for you, and that you wake up with more ideas than you could paint. And I think that's evidenced by how many paintings you have 
pumped out consistently. But how does this inspiration usually come? <laughs> he says, I, I, I can't, I, I, I don't know how it comes, but I know it comes. <laughs> so it, it is a, an exercise of trying to, to visualize this inspiration. It is like remembering something that you've seen in the past and, and then, and then uh, put it on a piece of paper. And then I, I make uh, corrections with rational corrections based on, 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 on what I know in art. That makes complete sense to me. I, I think so many of us, you know, President Nelson has had his focus on hear him. And it's been interesting to, to try to figure out for me, like, how do I receive the inspiration that I receive? And so I love how he said, like, I don't know how I how it comes, but I know that it comes. Jorge's newest painting is titled Madonna and Child. Jorge, could you tell me a bit about your process of painting this piece and perhaps some of the parts that you love most about it? So he says that the, the, the church has opened up a little bit and now is, is more being accepted to paint Mary, Virgin Mary, and, and so that's that's I'm, I'm very happy that I can I can paint paint her and and to be something that is accepted and, and the the dramatic experience that that this young woman went through has not been explored in in much uh, much depth. There is very little writings about it. She had a. a a god in in her in her belly and take care of then then raise that child and so I work with uh, with with very con- con- converging uh, forms and triangles and shapes because she she must have had uh, an internal conflict as a human being and and as a as a mother of a god a unique phenomenon in, in the whole history of humankind. So it was love, responsibility, all of that to, to put all of that into a painting is a challenge. For sure. Well, and I was thinking as you were talking just now that it probably, you know, you talked about how weighty it is and, and how much it weighs heavy on you to paint the savior. I was thinking probably some similar feelings about painting the mother of Jesus Christ. So this episode, Jorge, will be our last episode that will air before Christmas this year. So what does it mean to you to be able to debut this piece that captures such an important part of the Christmas story at Christmas time? So it is a, a great honor for me. I'm, very, I'm just very thankful that I have the opportunity to be an influence uh, to other people through art it is great to uh, to bring this image back to to the purpose, the real purpose of, of what we're celebrating during Christmas, which is the birth of Christ, and 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 not just a, a vacation or a festivity. 
Absolutely. Well, I, for one, am very excited to come and meet the two of you in person. So that's what I'm looking forward to um, and so excited to see see this piece in person. In conclusion, the last question that we always ask on this podcast is, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And Emil, I just want to say Thank you so much for translating. And if you have anything that you want to add about what it means to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that would be awesome too. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to to be able to participate. Uh, Thank you so much for having us. Everything else would not make sense if you're not all in. Everything is, is temporal. So the gospel uh, gives you uh, an answer for things now and for things for eternity. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, Emil, did you have anything that you wanted to add? No, I, I think, uh, you know, we want to leave it, uh, leave the, the, the Maestro Coco with the last word. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you both so, so much. It's been a a privilege to talk to you. And I, like I said, I look forward to meeting you and I hope that you have a very Merry Christmas. Likewise. And and it's a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for for the time. Of course. Feliz Navidad. Gracias. (laughs) Muchas gracias. Igualmente. Huge thanks to Jorge Coco for joining us on today's episode. You can find Jorge's art on DeseretBook.com. You can also learn more about Jorge, his art, and the Palo Alto Crush exhibit by visiting LDSLiving.com slash all in and clicking on Jorge's episode. Each week we have links to everything that's been discussed on the episode and we hope you take advantage of that resource. We are so grateful for the time that you have spent with us in 2022. It has truly been a year to remember, and we look forward to making more memories with you in 2023. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everyone.